Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Only last month, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, launched the 2022 Waiting List Action Plan. Uh, the first year of the multi-annual reform programme to stabilise and reduce waiting lists and waiting times for elective care in Ireland, bringing about significant and lasting change, according to him, in the waiting list numbers. And he said, we know the number of people on waiting lists was already too high before the pandemic, and now following months of disruption to services, there are over 730,000 people waiting for care in Ireland. That number is a lot higher now, by the way. The plan allocates, he said, $350 million to the HSE. Uh, obviously to try and reduce the waiting list he believes by 18% by the end of this year according to the projections for 2022 that show that over 1.5 million patients will be added to the active waiting list this year alone a lot of people very understandably stayed away from the health service during the pandemic and did not come forward for the care they probably needed early diagnosis etc etc others were not able to access non-origin care of course because they couldn't even get to see the bloody doctor as these people came forward it will place a huge additional demand on the health service this year alone. Now, only today I'm hearing that non-essential surgeries will be cancelled again because of the high numbers of people in hospital. And I'm going to inverted commas this, inverted commas, inverted commas, inverted commas, with COVID. Not from COVID, but with COVID. Somewhere in there from COVID, there's no doubt about that, but the majority are probably with COVID. In other words, they went in with a broken leg and while they were tested inside, uh, it turned out they had COVID. Pre-COVID times, we did have people in hospital with colds and flus and we didn't behave the way we're behaving at the moment. And let's be clear about it, Leo Ragnar only said this morning that COVID at the moment is no worse than a bad flu season. That's his own words. So only today, I'm hearing that these services will be cancelled again. A lot of people will be getting a phone call or a letter today. Now, before the pandemic, as I said, we had people with coughs and colds. We just dealt with it. We are paying high taxes in this country. And we have, or should have, a good health service. But we have an appalling health service for many years. And no, nobody seems to be able to fix it. I mean, it would be simple to blame, of course, Stephen Donnelly for this. But, of course, this mess was also there when Leo Varadka was Minister for Health, James Riley, Mary Harney, and Michal Martin himself was the Minister for Health at one stage. We have a CEO of the HSE, Paul Reid, who's now being paid nearly a half a million a year and is still in the job. In any other company or profession, the performance of the company director would have a, you know, the company itself would have a direct reflection on the CEO and his position and whether his position is actually tenable. But yet, Paul Reid is still there on a half a million a year and the health service is still a mess. We've had two years to fix this problem and it seems that we can't do it. You know, we had reduced capacity of the hospitals, yet we're back with the long waiting lists. Front page of the papers today, thousands of people on trolleys again, people waiting, you know, 730,000 people or nearly a million people waiting on the waiting list. So I want to know, are you currently on a waiting list or had an appointment cancelled? Let us know. The number is 087-188-0008. Are you currently on a waiting list or have you had an appointment cancelled? Now, this came to a head for me this morning when I spotted a story in Dublin Live. And I read the story of the death of Killian Burnett, 15-year-old schoolboy who died after an asthma attack early on Tuesday morning in what is described as a totally preventable death after he was on a waiting list for three years and had numerous appointments cancelled. And joining me this afternoon is Darren Travers, who is his uncle. Darren, good afternoon to you. Hi, Noel, how are you? Um, can I say, firstly, I can't imagine how you and 
obviously how his family must feel at the moment. It's a terrible, terrible time. My condolences to you and all of Killian's family and friends on this Thank really tragic, tragic occasion. But let, let's talk about Killian first before we talk about what happened. I mean, yeah. you describe him as a, a cheeky chappy. Yeah, typical uh, 15-year-old teenage boy. Do you know what I mean? They get up to mischief like any of us, you know. Mm. Just back to your, your teenage years, we all done things we should have done, done things we shouldn't have done. It's a learning process as you grow up, you know. Yeah. But he was a normal a normal kid, you know, like anyone's son. Um, you know, he he just loved life. Yeah. You know, you, I, I thought it was funny that you mentioned uh, he went around carol singing even though he couldn't sing because he was a good <laughs> businessman. <laughs> every, do you know what? Every Christmas he would come up, uh, he'd come to the house and he'd be like, oh, I've earned like five euro, 10 euro, 20 euro. Like from what uh, him and his friends go around carol singing. And how they earned it, it's, they probably gave them the money to leave the house. <laughs> to leave, to leave the door, yes. To the yes. carol singing. But, yeah. um, and he'd ask, he'd go up to the the shops and he would ask people you know whether coming out with their trolley if he could take their trolley back for the euro so he was quite yeah, an entrepreneur he, wasn't he that's an entrepreneur in, in the making definitely yeah, but absolutely. unfortunately now his life has been cut absolutely short ended and short that will never happen okay so take us back a little bit in time um he has asthma and he's had yeah. numerous asthma attacks where he ended up in hospital in a very serious situation yeah um, especially the past the past couple of months he's um he, basically, every week he's been having a severe asthma attack, mm. and he's been resuscitated by his own brother and his father, yeah. um, and then taken in, in the ambulance to the hospital and has been discharged. Now, I work for British Airways, and if we defib anybody or resuscitate anybody on a flight, they're taken off by ambulance and they're monitored for 48 hours because you do not know what damage you've done. Of course, you be kept death. under observation. And yes, under observation. Killian has never been kept under observation. He's been home within the hour from being defibbed or being resuscitated. And so literally, past, it's li- literally, and no reflection on the staff that work there because they're... Oh, God. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to thank the, the doctors and nurses who did work on Killian um, because they worked in them for over an hour and a half. Yeah, and you know, I know that under strain, the the health system is under strain, and you know they they do an amazing job. But there's there's things that have happened that should not have happened, and this situation, Killian should be here with us today. Well, there's yes, no, there, I, I feel there's no doubt about that. I mean, yeah. and only recently, only a couple of weeks ago, his parents took him to hospital for an appointment. Yeah, which yeah, took so three he, years he, to get, by the way. Three years, three years, and they took him to Temple Street, and when they arrived, they were told his appointment was cancelled. And his father asked, said, you know, we weren't notified about this cancellation. We've been waiting three years. And they said they contacted his father. And David said, I am his father. What and nobody rang him, yeah. No, and they rang somebody else. They rang a different number, a completely different number to what David had. And that was the appointment that was crucial for Killian's survival right today. Mm. He needed that appointment. And after three years for it to be cancelled. And why, first, I'm confused as to why it took three years in the first place. I don't know if that's the average nowadays to get an appointment if you have asthma, which is quite a serious condition, by the way, particularly when you have the type of asthma that Killian had. I mean, three years seems like an unreasonable amount of time. I've heard of, you know, eight months, a year, maybe even 18 months, three 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 years. years. He's been waiting for this specialist. And on that day, they were told he was, there was no specialist there that, I don't know if they were told he was on holiday or whatever, but there was no one there. And after waiting that long, and within those couple of months, the 
past couple of months, Killian has been in hospital almost every month and has been resuscitated four times. And each time sent home. Ho- sent home straight after sent he was home. And not even sent kept home. him for observation, no. nothing? No, no. He's been on four, five different types of inhalers, seven, you know, um, steroids. But as I said, you know, to be resuscitated, even once to be resuscitated, you have to be monitored. You know, you could have broke his rib, especially when his father and his brother did it. You know, and they don't know exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So you do not know what damage you have done to that child's chest. You know, and yeah, to be told it's you know to send them home is it's just unthink it's unthinkable, unthinkable to send a child home after after a situation like that. And I mean, in a small so country with a population. Sorry for interrupting you, but, but a small no. country with a population of 5 million people and a reasonably decent, well, it's supposed to be a decent health service, you would imagine yeah. that we would be able to get to see people within a reasonable amount of time, and particularly yeah. when it comes to children who are the most vulnerable, of course. Oh, 100%. Uh, yeah. 100%. And now we're left choosing what colour coffin he's going to have, you know, what songs is going to be sang at his funeral. It's something no parents should have to do with a child and especially in this day and age you know there is so many ways to to help children with asthma and i know it's uh, it's national asthma day on the fourth of may you know and i hope people are aware of that but um to lose a child under those circumstances and the circumstances that i spoke about that the amount of times he has been in hospital is just is just wrong mm-hmm. And how did he handle that himself over the last three years? Because as you say, it's got worse over the last three years where he had to be go in and be resuscitated on numerous occasions. It, that must have had a huge impact on his own life as well. I mean, yeah. there must have been a constant fear that it was going to happen all the time. His father has been sleeping with him for the past six months because he was terrified to sleep. He, he was terrified that he wouldn't wake up. And his his father now can't... I don't know how he's going to cope because his... Last, his son's last words to him were, Daddy, please help me. Oh. Oh. They were his last words his son said to him, Daddy, please help me. That's what, heart, what it's heartbreaking, isn't it? That's heartbreaking. And, and wh- this happened, of course, uh, the other morning, on Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning, uh, yeah. and, and where was he at the time? Was he out and about, or was he in the house, or where was he when this happened? He was, he was, he was in his own house. Um, oh. As I said, his dad was there, and he woke up, and it was the first time he said to his dad, Dad, I need an ambulance. And they called the ambulance and they started to walk on him. And in the ambulance, he was saying, that's what he was saying to Dad, Dad, please help me. Before he went in the ambulance, he was begging his dad to help him. And what could his dad do? But yeah. the, the last words that is going to play in his father's mind now for the rest of his life. Please that he you. could not help his own son. And there he was for, the, for three years trying to help him, trying to get him an appointment, yeah. bringing yeah. him to hospital, yeah. doing everything that yeah. he's supposed to do and everything you're supposed yeah. to do to get an appointment to get help. I mean, he wouldn't, Killian was afraid to even go outside the dorm most of the time. You know, he'd stay in on his PlayStation because I'm sure as well the whole COVID situation, you know, people were asking, they had to be a lot more careful. Of course. But yeah. um, a child shouldn't be that scared. No. To no. go outside the door, you know, or to have to sleep. With the with the with their dads, you know. So he just wanted people around him, of course, just to he, feel a bit safer. He was terrified. Yeah. He was so scared of falling asleep mm. because he was afraid he wouldn't wake up. What a what that's a, what a terrible way for the poor child to end his life for, for, a for three years. years. To yeah. have that fear is yeah. is not right. Mm. But there is there has been, as I said, you know, there's been some mistakes made somewhere, and I I ha- take my hat off to every doctor and nurse. 
You know, they mm. they got a job that's they do amazing work, but something somewhere has gone wrong for for this to happen. I, I, it, I, not, it was so unavoidable. And that's what I'm saying. You're being clear that you're not pinpointing the blame to any one particular oh, person. No, no, not at all. I just said that. Uh, We'd, we honestly would like to thank those doctors and nurses that walked on Killian. You know, mm. as I said, it was over an hour and a half they tried to, to bring him back and unfortunately he, he didn't make it. No, I mean, what you're struggling to understand is that, I suppose, with the administration of the HSE, not the actual yeah. doctors and nurses, and how this could be left to go on for so long yeah. and that this was 100% avoidable. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I mean, asthma runs in our family. My sister, she was chronic asthmatic and you know, years ago, she was having asthma attacks again, like Killian, almost every week. Mm-hmm. But she was always kept in. Yeah. She was always kept in. In fact, she didn't even get an education because she was kept in hospital so much. Yeah. And Killian's been out of school a lot lately because of his, uh, of his asthma since November, because this was happening once and for, you know, once too often. His young and friends, again, all his young friends in school must be, must be devastated by, do by you know his what? passing. Yesterday, the... I, I've, I've not seen anything like that. And I, would, I would also like to thank all the family, our family, our neighbours, friends, you know, and Killian's friends, you know, for all the support they've given. And all the kids yesterday paid tribute to Killian and came to his home, all the school kids, all the school kids, there's hundreds of kids, and they all let off balloons, which was a beautiful tribute to Killian. And they all had his, his face printed on T-shirts. So, again, I'd like to say, you know, the kids have been amazing. You know, Killian's friends have all been fantastic. And again, all the family, neighbours, friends, all the support, you know, a a big, big, um, warm, heartfelt thank Mm -hmm. you to all of those. And of course, the reason you're talking to me today and the reason that you've highlighted this, and and I read it this morning in Dublin Live, is that you don't want this to happen to anybody else, of course. Of course not. You know, it's something that is so unavoidable in many yeah. You know, medical situations where people lose somebody. There's been so many situations where things shouldn't have happened, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not like he walked out and got hit by a car. Yeah. You know, this is a kid who had his whole life ahead of him who was, I think, failed in some way by the medical system. And you were speaking about Paul Reed earlier on, you know, he, he, he was their neighbour. Mm-hmm. You know, he just literally sold his house. He just lived just a few doors away. Mm-hmm. But um, he, Killian has been felt by the medical system without a question of a doubt. As I said, you did not discharge a child after being resuscitated. I mean, this has been going on now. Well, look, it's been going on for 30 years. Um, yeah. but, but it's got particularly worse. And we did think the pandemic, the two years of the pandemic, would give them some sort of time of relief, um, you know, to... I suppose to prioritise and and make you know more beds available, you know more appointments yeah. available. But unfortunately, it seems to be worse now than it ever was. Stephen Donnelly is saying now he said last month that he wants he has an action plan that he's going to put three hundred and fifty million into the HSE to sort this out. Yeah. But it doesn't look like it because only today again we're hearing that you know non-essential surgeries are going to be cancelled. Have been cancelled, yeah. You know, and, and, as, and as you said earlier on, you know. It's been going on for so long and there hasn't been, nobody's noticed many changes. And as I said, I understand the whole situation with COVID and the taking up beds, but there are people out there waiting on operations, severe, you know, um, really severe operations that they need to keep them alive. And, you know, where do people fit in in this? You know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's just, it's a, it's a crazy situation and I don't think it's going to change in, in, this very near future at all. 
I think I, mean, it, I, I, that, I would like to think that you know debts like Killian's and probably many others. And I know there's many other people around the country in a very similar situation, but yeah, would be some sort of turning point whereby I, I know these are just individual people, but all these individual stories, of course, are extremely important because they affect so many. Yeah, people. everybody's absolutely everybody's yeah everybody's child, everybody's mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt, uncle. Everybody means something to them. Do you know what I mean? And Killian is is heir you know, story, do you know what I mean, that we're trying to get out there. And if if it does stop any other child from going through the same situation, then it's you've got to voice your you've got to have have that voice out there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And fingers crossed, you know, we pray that this does not happen to another family because you do not want to watch somebody bury their child. I mean, and I know that obviously his family, his mum and dad and everybody else and his family, they must be devastated. Completely, uh, completely heartbroken. And there's there's no words can come for them at the moment. Absolutely no words no. can come for them at the moment. And you say, when when is his funeral? His funeral's on uh, Monday morning. Monday morning. And I'm sure there'll be a massive turnout. I'm sure he sounds like well, a very popular guy. So from, from what's been happening, you know, in the past few days, and the amount of people that have been coming and going from the, from the house, you know, bringing so much food, oh my God. Um, yeah. As I said, they've all been fantastic. And Killian's friends, his school friends, you know, for such young kids, and the teachers, I have to say, yeah, his teachers have been here every day. Yeah. And I have the utmost respect for them. They've been absolutely fantastic. And I know his, the children from his class are going to do a guard of honour, you know, as a tribute to, to Killian on Monday morning at the church. So, okay. Which well, look, we'd I, like to thank I, them I all think, for. I think we'd all agree that three years waiting for an appointment for something that's extremely serious that yeah. ended up taking his life, sadly, it, it's, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Yeah, completely, completely. So, and that's why I'm, that's the only reason why I'm angry, is that an appointment that's taken three years and was cancelled twice mm-hmm. in a month, the, the appointment was cancelled. Yeah. And that was the appointment that they wanted to know the severity of, you know, Killian's asthma, if it was something more, and that could have saved that child's life. Yeah, well, he certainly would have been in the right place to get the right treatment when it happened, if you know what I mean. So yeah. if if indeed he had been under the observation of a doctor or or, yeah. or they had have had more information and those appointments yeah. had been given to him. Or even even if when he, as I said, when he has was resuscitated, they kept him in to even x-ray him. Yeah. You know, that might have shown up something more. You know, as I said, when, you, when somebody's going to resuscitate somebody and you don't know what damage they're going to do, of course, you, you, you got to x-ray or do something. and that Not, not just send them something. home again. Yeah, not just send them home. And every time... I, can't, I, I just can't imagine what it must have felt like to be him at 15 yeah. years of age, to have this constant fear over the last few months that, yeah. you know, it, it was going to be the next asthma attack yeah. that would take his life. Or indeed, or, or indeed for his that. father to sl- have to sleep yeah. beside him every night. And, and what his father's going through now. That imagine having those words in your mind that they're the last words you've heard from your son. You know, please help me, Daddy. Yeah, yeah. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm no, was, no, no. When I, read, so when I read the story this morning, I was, my heart, because I have three kids of my own, and my heart was absolutely broken for you and your family and everybody else. And what, I mean, look, sadly, we hear of children dying all the time. But what yeah. makes this worse is that this is preventable. 100% avoidable. 100%. Absolutely. Listen, thank you very much indeed for joining. Give my no, condolences no, and pass on my condolences to the family and, and thank friends. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you very, very much. All right, there you go. Darren Travis, who is the uncle. And sadly, um, Killian, 
His life has now ended, Killian Burnett, 15 years of age. He's from Finglas and his life has ended. Uh, something that was totally avoidable. Um, his last appointment only recently was cancelled. On numerous occasions recently, he ended up having to go to hospital to be resuscitated, only to be sent straight home again. Because, of course, he didn't have an appointment, did he? Not even kept in for observation, according to the family. Um, which would you would imagine would be basic care, wouldn't you? Be good. And, and again, we're not blaming or pinpointing the blame on the doctors or the nurses uh, at Temple Street Hospital. That's not what they're doing. It's administration. It's the way the system is operating. And I'm sure as we speak, there are many, many people across the country who have similar stories. And, you know, you may hear stories today that anger you, but we feel it is really, really important to highlight the mess that our health service is and the mess that it's in. And as I said to you, only last month, Stephen Donnelly suggested that he had a new plan to reduce the waiting list by 18%. But only today... I'm hearing stories again that appointments are being cancelled because 1,400 people are in hospital with COVID, not from COVID, with COVID. I'm not belittling those people who may die of COVID. Thankfully, at the moment, uh, the strain of COVID that's around seems to be only affecting those who may have other underlying conditions. There are going to be exceptions to that rule, of course. And Leo Varadkar's own words this morning when he was asked about restrictions was... It's similar to a bad flu season. In other words, most people will just get cold or flu symptoms. No more than usual. So we need to go back to the way things were, in a sense that we need to stop cancelling non-essential surgeries. We need to stop cancelling appointments because of COVID-19. It's ridiculous at this stage. I mean, do we need to maybe go to a hospital service where we have individual rooms? If that's what we need to do, that's what we need to do. If we want to avoid contamination. This is ridiculous. People waiting two and three years for an appointment that's life-changing. Even it's things like, you know, having knee replacements, hip replacements, whatever it happens to be. If you're waiting three years, I'll give you an example. Many years ago, my father had a heart attack. Thankfully, my father had private health insurance, which everybody doesn't have because it's expensive. And... He went to his doctor after, obviously, after he had the heart attack, he went to the hospital. He went to his doctor, obviously, his doctor came around to him in the hospital and said to him, listen, you need a bypass. And he went, OK. He had a quadruple bypass three weeks later. Thankfully, that kept him alive for another 15 or 20 years. Um, now, at the same time, a friend of his, only a week later, had a heart attack. He didn't have private health insurance. He went on a waiting list. It was 18 months before he could get a bypass. But in that 18-month period, he died of a heart attack. They say money doesn't buy your health, but in this country it certainly does because the public system is so bad. We should be ashamed of ourselves. I mean, the death of a young 15-year-old schoolboy, Killian Burnett, should be a turning point particularly when we talk about children whose whole lives are ahead of them. Whatever about me and whatever about older people, we don't have that much left in our life. It's still bad, but a 15-year-old child in what's completely avoidable. If he had been x-rayed, they might have found something. They might have been able to help him in some way if he was under observation of a doctor. But no, sent home. Sent home. A child lying in bed at night with his father beside him 
wondering was he going to wake up the next morning, afraid to go to sleep. And his last words to his father, please help me, Daddy. How can we live with ourselves? Paul Reed, as I said, is earning a half a million a year as head and CEO of the HSE. Any other company in the private sector, if the company was performing as badly as the HSE, he'd be out the door and replaced by somebody who can do the job properly. Nope. It's a mess. And as I said, it would be easy to blame Stephen Donnelly. You know what I mean? But it's not just his fault. It's every health minister before him, including Leo Varadkar, James Riley, Mary Harney, and Michal Martin himself, who was Minister for Health at one point. The number is 087-188-0008. I want to hear from you. Have you had an appointment cancelled? Are you on a waiting list? Is your child on a waiting list for two, three years, 18 months? I don't care. Anything over six months is unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. I know there has to be a limit. Of course, people are going to go on waiting lists. We can't just give everybody, everybody everything they want within a reasonable amount of time. Six months is reasonable. Six months. That's the most you should ever have to wait for any kind of surgery or any kind of intervention. Uh, the number is 087-188-0008. What a tragic, tragic story. Oh my God, Noel. I'm almost in tears here listening to this. This is absolutely heartbreaking. How in the name of God, this day and age, did that get to this stage? It's absolutely awful. My God. Somebody, somebody has to be held accountable for this. My God. You're right. You're absolutely right. Somebody should be accountable. Because how you can put a child on a waiting list for three years, a child that's, as I said already, I don't need to keep harping on about it, but how tragic it is, who's literally afraid to go asleep and his father sleeping at 15 years of age. How we can allow that to happen in a civilised country, a country which is supposed to be prosperous. I mean, we were told that Ireland not only is one of the most expensive cities in Europe, but it's also one of the most prosperous cities. We recovered very well from COVID and the damage financially it does did to us. And yet, here we are, two years after COVID, where we had so much time to provide more hospital beds and more services for people. And yet we didn't do it. And we have a child of 15 years of age who dies in what's completely avoidable. Gavin, you're in Ireland's Classic Kids. How are you doing, Gavin? Good morning, yourself. Good. I, I'm, you know what? I'm so angry, but I'm so heartbroken listening to that story. And I know that Killian's dad, those last words that he heard, please, please help me, Dad. I mean, they will play on his mind forever, Gavin. For, for a father, I, 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 it's, it's devastating to listen to that man. And it's just... Look, but as you're right, Noel, Paul Reid should be held accountable. And but, but when there's no accountability for any of our ministers or government or these high up politicians, where, what can we do? Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody has to be held accountable. I don't mean just for Killian's uh, passing. I mean for the, the system that's in place at the moment that allows it to get so bad that we have, you know, nearly a million people on a waiting list. Yeah. I mean, in a population, that's one in five. In a population of five million people, that's just unacceptable. I, I, don't, I don't even know. Like, as I said, I don't even know what to say because 
like with the message I sent in there, Noel, I'm one of them waiting. And obviously what I did do, I went private. Now well, I, well, okay, well, let's, let's explain your situation, Gavin, because I think I spoke to you before. I remember speaking to you before. So it, it if is. I remember rightly, you have, uh, you have blood cancer. I do, I do. Okay. Um, and what, what, one, of, one of the symptoms of the blood cancer that I have is, is chronic um, headaches. Now, when I say headaches, it's, it's, it's pressure. It's not, it's not like a headache. Look, I know there's people out there who suffer chronically with migraines. It's not like a headache. It's like as if you have a baseball cap on your head and it's pulled really tight. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, or, or, or a It's like pressure on your head, yes, yeah. Yeah, or a, or a girl who has a ponytail. They always say once they take the, the, the ball out, it's, it's much better. But it's constant pressure. Now, as I said, yeah, I, I was waiting, when I last spoke to you, I was waiting eight or, eight, eight or nine months. Um, I'm now close on a year with the text message I just sent you with a, with a now a, where you're on a waiting list. Do you still need this appointment? Do you still need it? Well, you have blood cancer. Now, personally, I don't. I did go private. Um, and, and it's come back that, obviously, what, I, what we initially spoke about was because the doctor assumed that I, and I may have been having many strokes. Um, I, I'm looking at your message here, by the way, and, and it reads, Dear Gavin, we are currently reviewing our waiting list to ensure that you can be offered an appointment date as soon as possible. Please confirm by text that you wish to remain on the neurological outpatient waiting list. Uh, reply with yeah. a yes or no. Yeah, but I'm sure there's many people that get that text message every day for different ailments. Um, look, as you said yourself, we've recovered very well from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's been proven. Um, and yet, I mean, we still have probably one of the worst. We, we have a toured world health system, I think. I just don't get it. And, you know, and even when I look at the papers this morning, the headline of the paper this morning was so many thousand people on trolleys, right? I thought we were, I thought we had moved, I mean, there was nobody on trolleys during COVID because COVID, inverted commas, was around. Now, all of a sudden, they're back again. And I I just don't get it. I mean, I'll give you an example. You go into A&E in Ireland and pre-pandemic, and it's probably going to be the same now again. You're looking at eight or nine hours. And, you know, as you know, I go up and down to the north all the time. I, I spend most of my time in the north now. And if I go to the Ulster Hospital, which I have on a couple of occasions, I'll go into the Ulster, Ulster Hospital. I'll be in and out in 45 minutes to an hour at the most in A&E. So, so what are we doing wrong? Because we're not talking about London here. We're talking about, you know, Belfast, which similar to Dublin, we should be able to get people in and out of a hospital in a reasonable amount of time and get them an appointment then with whatever specialist they need, need within a six-month period. That should be possible. It should be, and on paper, on paper it should be, but I don't know what's gone wrong. Um, I, I was in hospital just back in November. Basically what happened was my, tr- my throat started closing over, so I ended up getting admit- admitted into hospital. They, t- they thought I thought they, they, put it, they put it down to um, just part and parcel of everything that's going on with my body now. Okay. They, it's, it, they don't know what actually happened. They, they, they kept me in for three days, then released me, and a couple of days later, I ended up back in. But like that, Noel, the A&E was absolutely a mess, a shambles. And, and when it is unacceptable, and particularly it's unacceptable when it's a life-threatening illness or a diagnosis that you need for possible life-threatening illness, particularly cancer. 
Uh, I don't. I don't know. By the way, Gavin, what the prognosis is for blood cancer? Can maybe enlighten me a little bit? What's What's your prognosis? Um, to be honest with you, it's a it's a, it's a rare one. They, they, okay. There is a, there is there is no actual um, there's no actual cure, as I was told. Okay, so you can't so get like chemotherapy for it or anything. Yeah, it's just a matter of prolonging it and and doing and basically what it is, they they do blood removals and uh, what's called venesections to remove. The, the so-called bad blood and whatever else happens, and it's just about prolonging your life. Basically. Right. Okay. Well, look. Well, look. I wish you well, and I and I hope you get to the bottom of it eventually, and I hope you get to live a nice, reasonably long life, Gavin. Uh, thank you very much. Let me go to Pauline as well. Pauline, you're on Ireland's Classic Kids. Hello, hello, Niall. How are you? I'm in good form, thank God. Um, bar what the doctor told me yesterday. Okay. Um, I had a chat with my doctor about because I had cataracts in my eyes that's okay. what's causing my falls they're saying and all this kind of thing but anyway between that I said to the doctor um, I got a letter from the Ioneer the Ioneer is the place that we go to obviously yep. that's the only place I deal with yep. and they sent me a letter to ask me was I still interested in getting my eyes done tick a box on the end of that now I and said I'm, I'm assuming you are interested because they just get worse don't they as time goes yeah, on yeah. yes but I said to my doctor, how long do you think I'd be waiting, just for curiosity? Nine to ten years, she said, before you can see a, sul- a consultant. Nine to ten years? Years, yeah. And I'd be six, I'd be 78. She could be dead, you could be dead and buried, God bless you, That's Pauline. what I said. Yeah. That's what I said. Now, the next thing she said to me was, if you want, you can get it to see. They know that people will go to Belfast to get it done. That's right. And so they're going up there by the bus load. Yeah, I know, but you have to have ten grand on you for two eyes. Over you, twelve grand for two yeah. eyes. Now, and they do give you back the money, I believe. But I would, I might struggle to get the five grand or something. But I, this is I this is on the treatment abroad scheme, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the thing about it is, I'd be struggling to do that. As I mean, I'd have to borrow the money to do it, and I don't think I could no. afford it because I'm a pension. It's a lot of, it's a lot of you know? money, all right? Yeah. But uh, that's the way they're doing it, and I and but I. But isn't it doctor, shocking? But isn't it shocking that you can get get onto a bus and they have the cataract bus? They call it. You can get onto the bus. You can go up to the north and get it done up there quite quickly and quite easily. And yet we can't, we can't we can't provide it down here for you. This is what I asked the doctor, I, and she said to me, it's because they haven't enough of the specialists for me. Oh, by the way, before I even get the bus or go down there, I have to see a private specialist, which will cost me 300 euros just to talk to him to check my eyes before I go. And to, to tell you something that you know already. Yeah. Yeah, more or yeah. less. Yeah, yeah. And I, I suppose, so, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not life threatening, but no, in saying not, that, not, it affects your quality of life. other people are in the same yeah. boat as me. You know? no, no, well, I mean, look, it affects your quality of life. Yeah, that's what the doctor said. That's yeah. how I'm having me falls now. This okay. is where it all comes into it. And have you, fall, have you fallen much, Pauline? Oh, yes. I've had, uh, since 2018, I've had serious falls. Now, they're, they're ten, I'm attending the hospital in James's and I'm in the falls clinic. So they're monitoring my blood pressure. They said that's not helpful. And what, what happens, like, can you explain it to me? Because obviously a lot of people wouldn't understand. When you have cataracts in your eyes, it obviously affects your vision. So wh- Well, you see, what happens is I could be walking along and suddenly with the blood pressure and whatnot, I get dizzy spells. And when I get dizzy spells, I fall down. Okay. Now, I have to drink lots of water, but during the lockdown was kind of a bit complicated because you couldn't find the toilet. 
<laughs> so right. I used to bring a small bottle of water with me, the kids bottle. Now I am fine. I mean, I've, I'm quite a healthy woman in general. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, ten years time, who knows? I could be blind because she said to me that the with the cataracts, you could by five years you could be practically blind. Right. And the, so waiting, and the waiting list is and nine, I ten years. Yeah. Going to be, I'm not going to be mobile then. That means no. then, uh, you know, and I means it's going to cost the state a lot more money because they would have to look See, after See, this me. is the part that doesn't make any sense. If we look after people and we give them a decent quality of life, it means we don't have to pay out in the long term. So this is kind of short-term thinking. In other words, you're right. If you end up that you have your vision impaired by our cataracts, well, then the state has to pay, you know, some money to look after you and have somebody come looking after you. Whereas if they, if they sort you out now, you can look after yourself. Well, this is what I'm saying, Niall, because it's coming to the stage now, even, as I said, um, I do have a carer for three days a week and that's, I'm quite happy that's fine for me, you know, because I'm still mobile and I can get about. But there's certain things I can't do, like carrying mm. shopping and stuff like that, anything that's heavy because it does yeah. put a strain on my, on my blood pressure. There's a, there's a message here, actually, that you might find interesting. Have a quick listen to this, Pauline, and you, you might actually find this interesting. Hi, Niall. Um, I'm just listening to that lady there about the eye operation. My mum is only back a few weeks from getting it done. And there's no way it's costing that much. My mother only paid out 2,100 and she gets 1,970 back. So um, two eyes is only about, it's not even 4,000. I think it's a little bit cheaper when you're getting the two done together. And she went down onto the bus as well. So tell that poor woman, don't be worrying about it, that she will get them done if she goes through it that way. Love the show, Niall. Thank you. Mandy here from Rathout. There you go. Mandy from Rathout. Pauline reckons, you know, it'd be two, what was it, what did she say there? Two grand. She got 1,900 back. Yeah, so she got so, money back as well. So, so that's, is that in Belfast? I, I think it was, yeah. It was, it was a bus. She said they got can the you bus. Find out more, can you find out more information for me, Niall? And no. then submit... No yeah, problem. What I'm doing is I'm going to get yeah. Ashley to give Mandy a ring, right? And yeah, and yeah. then Ashley will give you a call back and let you know, right? That would be brilliant. That would be great. But just it's interesting to know because um, I have inquired and, and my doctor said to me it'd be five something. So, of course, I... Seems like a lot of money, all right? Yeah, yeah, of course. But they probably know they're dealing with people every day in the week. I don't know. But um, mm. as I said, if I thought that was the situation, I'd be go down in the summer to get one. You see, you only get one done at a time. Yeah, they you won't know? do the two together, Which obviously. obviously yeah. you wouldn't be able to see if you did. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> <laughs> You'd be left with two bandages blind. on your eyes and you wouldn't be able to oh, see where God, you're going. yeah. <laughs> but um, that's interesting now. All right, right. well, look, well, as I said to you, I'm running out of time, Pauline, but I get, Ashling will give Mandy a call and give her and let her get some information and she'll pass that on to you, all right, before the end of the day today, all right? Thank you for your time and God help that poor man and his son. My I know. Goes out to them, absolutely, you know? absolutely. But look, nine to ten years waiting list, my gosh. That's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the number's 087 Hi there, just listening to Niall's show. Um, no easy step, no one solution. There'll be several solutions with baby steps. But what if your man Paul Reid reduced his bloody salary from 500,000 down to 100,000? That extra 400,000 could pay five, six, seven doctors a year to work in the A&E. Okay, that's one little solution. Another little solution would be other top dogs in big businesses reducing their salaries to go towards employing other people to do smaller jobs mm-hmm. that will help society. Your man Paul Reid is a laugh and a disgrace. It's shameful he's getting that money. This is Andy here from Donabate. Thanks, Andy and Donabate. Oh my God, Noel. 
I don't know what's happening in this country at all. That's an, that's an act of cruelty, that is. An act of cruelty. An act of cruelty, absolutely. Let me just go to James. James, you're on Ireland's Classic Hits. How are you doing, James? Now, James, you've been waiting some time for an operation, I believe. Yes, um, two years, two months at the moment. Um, just before COVID hit, um, I went to my GP. I have a problem with my breathing. So I went to my GP, and he basically told me that the middle part of my nose um, is pushed over. So he, my breathing is reduced by about 15%. So he said, uh, he said, look, I'll send an email off to the particular consultant. He said there's only about three or four of them in the country who deal with the nose. He says, unfortunately, they're all... Uh, public, none of them are private. Right, okay. So we sent it off. Uh, that was then, I said, around January, February of 2020, and I've still heard nothing back. So I was on to him a month ago about something else, and I happened to mention it to him. I said, Look, why are you having there? Could you chase that up for me? And he's like, Okay, leave it with me. So we come back to me and said, Look, um, I sent it off. I'll send it off again, but, um, you know, there's nothing I can do. You just have to wait until they contact you. So right. it's now two, two years. years, two months. Two years, two months. And the problem with it is that it actually makes me snore. And what often happens is because I'm snoring so loud and my breathing is reduced, I'm actually waking myself up sometimes. Right, so okay, it's, a, it's got a sleep apnea, isn't that what they call it? Slight, slight yeah. form of sleep apnea, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I might not. Now, someone else mentioned about Paul Reid. Paul Reid is an absolute bluffer, Niall. As you said at the start of the show, if he was in any other business, he would have been fired straight away. He's an absolute bluffer. Okay, well, you know, a lot, no. well, a lot of people have a view on him. Yeah, I understand that, and he's on a half a million a year, and they believe that you know any other any other business, if the performance, and I'm not saying his personal performance, but the performance of the company, i.e., the HSE, and, and it is bad. Look, there's nobody can say it's not. I mean, it's a disaster. It's a mess. Well, let me tell you this, Niall. I have a friend of mine who's a taxi driver. Both him and his wife are originally from Pakistan, and his wife is a doctor. He drives a taxi in Dublin. His wife gets a six month contract. They're living here eight years. His wife gets a six six monthly contract in different hospitals all over the country. She's an orthopedic doctor. So she gets six months in Kerry, six months in Cork, six months in Dublin, six months here, six months there. They can't get a mortgage because the fact that even though she is full-time, technically she's not, if you know what I mean, because she doesn't have a full-time contract. So what happened was uh, a position come up in the UK for the NHS, about 10 grand less a year for a permanent job and they leave Ireland next week. Never. Uh, and, and unfortunately, James, sorry I'm running out of time, but that is the problem, uh, unfortunately, the HSE. And that's part of how badly it's been run, that people are leaving it constantly and we can't keep the staff actually in. A lot of messages, Good afternoon, by the way. Good Joe here in Cork. I can't come on the show. Um, just, I was just listening to you there. Uh, I know we crib about our health service, but by God, they were there for me when I needed them. Um, the 18th of January... I had a heart attack. Within hours, I was on an operating table having a double bypass. I don't have health insurance. I know we cripple about them, and I know the waiting that's so long. But in for emergency surgery, they're there one hundred percent. That was my experience. I and I. I just want to if the the team in CUH do listen to the show. My attitude is: I want to say. Thank you for everything. They have been amazing. Anyway, and I love the show. Got to go. I have to have um, a WebEx call. 
Take care. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that with us. But look, they, there is the good stories, but obviously there was a life-threatening situation that you were in, so it had to be done there and then. And yes, nobody, by the way, is pointing the picture, the picture or the finger, should I say, at the doctors and nurses when it comes to a situation like that, be it in Cork University Hospital or indeed any of the hospitals around the country, the doctors and nurses do do a great job. The problem is the way we run the whole system. Some of your messages, by the way, coming in in relation to the HSE and waiting lists. Just listening to your show, I've been saying for years, these jobs really ought to be performance-based and that'll shake them up. Mm. Far too much money to be given any one man who's not doing a job. The rest of us have to earn our money. Problem in the HSE, and I couldn't agree with you more, the problem in the HSE is not the doctors and nurses. Underpaid most of those, by the way. That's where they're going off and they say something like whatever it is, four and five of them will go off and probably go to the NHS and go to other places around the world where they can earn a lot more money. The problem is management of the HSE. It's being managed badly. The folder holders, that's what I call them. You know when you go into a hospital and you see the ones walking around with folders in their hands? Usually most of them are overpaid and they do very little. They're the problems. The people in the offices who are doing very little. If they were working in the private sector, they wouldn't last a day. They're the real problem. Not the people and the men and the women on the front line who are doing all the work. They're not the problem at all. They've never been the problem. Mm. No. As a former worker in the HSC, this doesn't surprise me at all, Niall. If you're put down as a routine case, you might as well be waiting forever. If you're urgent, you'll get seen fairly quickly. And if you're semi-urgent, here's another story, you'll be waiting as well. If you're put down as routine, you might as well just forget about it. It's a disgrace. All right, just to give the other side of the story, Niall, I've just retired from the HSE management. Excellent organisation to work for and have a career in uh, for permanent staff for, from entry. Also, my daughter, 21 years, has just taken up a permanent position in the HSE in Limerick. Paul Reid is a superb CEO, worth every penny. Handled uh, COVID uh, crack very well. All that's wrong uh, with waiting lists and trolley uh, queues is more efficiency by the staff and group working in these areas, as finance is not the problem. Drop the attitude uh, for all and do like I did on the National Information Line. Every day is your first day and strive to do better. Great show, Niles. This is Caroline. Uh, Caroline, obviously you have your view in relation to what he's doing, but you've got to remember, Caroline, whether you believe Paul Reid personally is doing a good job, you know, when I say personally in his day-to-day routine, that's irrelevant. He's responsible. So, for example, let's get, take radio, for example. So we've got a, a, you know, a CEO of the radio station. Now, it doesn't matter how hard he works in his office or how hard, he, you know, he works on doing promotions or outside broadcasts or whatever it is he happens to be responsible for. If the station performs badly because the presenters are crap, well, then, unfortunately, he has to go. That's the way it works because his job is to delegate. So Paul Reed's job is to make sure that every department is running well and if departments are not running well, that the people in charge of those departments are booted out the door and they get somebody better to look after that. So if people are on trolleys or people are in waiting lists, as you pointed out, in different areas, and you're right, the money is never the issue. It's the way it's being run. Well, that's Paul Reed's responsibility because he is the CEO. So it doesn't matter what he does on a day-to-day basis. And by the way, in relation to COVID, I would argue with you that it wasn't. Things weren't run properly or as well as they should. And not the men and women doing the actual job on the front line. I'm talking about the backbone. Uh, Let me go to John. John, you're an Ireland's classic. How are you doing, John? 
I know, they keep them. Good. And now, John, back to waiting lists as well. Uh, yeah. You're waiting a while, are you? I'm waiting um, a year and a half to have a, a hernia oh, done. Gosh, that, so that must be painful, to, is it? Oh, it's murder. <laughs> yeah. It's murder. And I was in the hospital last week on a Friday to meet the doctor. And two young doctors turned around and said, sorry, we can't do it in this hospital. Why not? That's that's all they told me. They just said, sorry, we can't do it in that hospital. Well, um, can I, can I ask you which hospital that was, John? The Mercy Hospital in Cork. And why can't they do it in that hospital? They said that I mightn't wake up if I had the operation. Oh, right, okay. 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 And they don't, they, don't, they don't want to take the responsibility. So, the, so it's not the actual operation that's the problem. It's if any complications arise. Any complications, Then they yeah. don't have the facilities to deal with the problem with a more serious emergency. Yeah, so they're, they're looking for other hospitals anyway. Right, okay. So they're going to so say, uh, what, to CUH? Well, we don't know yet. I okay. have, I, I've been on to doctors and getting all run around at the moment. Okay. I don't know. So, so, since, so since you were diagnosed with a hernia, yeah. um, you've been waiting a year and a half for an appointment. Yes, to get it, to get it sorted out, to get surgery, to get it sorted. I'm out. still waiting. I'm still waiting. And have you been given any kind of timeline as to when it might actually happen? Oh God, no, 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 no. Nothing that'd be, like that'd, that. be, that'd be too much to ask, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. And, and, and how is your how is your pain level? How are you managing the uh, pain? Well, I have a hernia, and then I have um, four disintegrating discs in my back. Okay. And then my ankle is fused together. Oh gosh. Jeez, you've a lot of problems going on there. God bless you, John. I've been them up over the years. Yeah, <laughs> you're collecting them now. This exactly, they're all trophies. But see, there's the problem, and the problem is again, none of these are you know life threatening as such, right? Thankfully, well, well, the hernia could be dangerous, but but in saying well, that, life threatening, but it affects your quality of life. Well, I can't go nowhere. Yeah. I, I went out yesterday, first time in them um, two weeks. Just to do five miles, uh, five kilometres up the road, that's all, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, the missus got me an exercise bike, but she is a break her legs. Right, and where, by the way, where is the hernia? Um, right alongside my testicles. Right, okay, so up over your groin, so to speak. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah right, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. And, and that can be extremely sore. I know, I, I know somebody who had one of those done like, recently, yeah, like, and... Well, you can't sit down really, like, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, you have, you're up and down all the time, walking around. Yeah. Um, painkillers. Uh, I could throw my Patrick's to the good. Then I've been walking. But right, I, was I, over, I was over in, in Croatia last year, and I collapsed because I'm a, I'm a diabetic too. Right. Type 1. Gosh, and, gosh, John, you're having a hard old time. Well, look, I hope you get the hernia sorted out soon. Uh, obviously, the Mercy Hospital can't do it in case it's a complication. So you might end up in uh, Cork University Hospital. But anyway, I hope you get it sorted out soon and you get your quality of life back, John, soon. Let me go to Nigel. Nigel, you're in Ireland's Classic Kids. How are you doing, Nigel? Nigel, how are you? Uh, now, you're only out of hospital today, by the way, with your son. Just literally come into the door now, Nigel. Yeah. Okay, and, and what's wrong with him, by the way? He had a, his adenoids removed. Oh, okay, all right. Okay, he's struggling for four for, for or five years with them, so. So he's been obviously constantly getting infections all the time. Well, he would have been, originally it would have been the tonsils, you see. When yeah, he was I know. Strong. My own my own son had to get the whole lot done. Tonsils, adenoids, um, and he got the year, what they call the grommets in the years when he was younger yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. When he was four, you see, the problem started with his throat. Um, he, um, and he had to have 13 infections in the one calendar year. For That's the right. Qualified. 
for him to qualify to have the tonsillectomy. Now, and they won't do that till they're at least two years of age. Well, he was now he'd gone from being from when he was four until he was just just gone six when he had the tonsils out in Tullamore, and going to the operation, going down to get that they said they were going to do the adenoids at the same time. That's just something they did, just just to say you're coming back to me. Said yeah. fine, walk away. Yeah. And the uh, operation went well, came back up, and the doctor was doing his rounds then following that. And he said, uh, we didn't take the adenoids. And they never said why, so I just said, right, Grant, they obviously didn't need to come out, whatever the case was. So mm-hmm. ever since then, he's been, just been struggling with his breathing at night time. So it's gone from when he was six, so he'd be, he'd be 11 in September. So he was waiting five years to get them done? He was waiting five years to get them done, yeah. Ah, there you go. Well, that's... We got him done now. He got to have the saying, I like I put on my text, I couldn't praise that hospital enough. When we went in yesterday, we went in yesterday morning, um, left here at 7 o'clock, we got there about 8 o'clock. By half 10, he was back in the bed and all done. Yeah. But I was in a ward last night. And like, I mean, can I ask you, by the way, Nigel, if it's not too rude of me to ask, do you have private health insurance? I don't know. I okay. okay. Pay up front, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so... Um, we were in a paediatric ward last night, Niall, in Tullamore Hospital. There's 17 beds in the paediatric ward. And we were the only people there overnight. Right. One person. My son, Daniel, was the only person on the paediatric ward last night. So the problem, yeah. is, the problem is not the beds, and we know that. The problem is not the availability of beds. The... In certain areas, Niall. In certain yeah. availability, everybody hoards towards the likes of... They hoard... If you're... If, like, if my son gets sick... I live in Newbridge, Niall. If my son gets sick, I go the other way. I don't head for Dublin. You've no chance. I'd rather go to the paediatrics in either Port Leash or Tullamore. You have a half a stab down there. If you go that way, you can forget it. You go once you go to the far side of the Red Cow, you can forget it. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. You can absolutely forget. And it. I know, I know, Crumlin, Crumlin Hospital is an amazing hospital. Oh, it is. It, it isn't. No, don't get yeah. me wrong. It's nothing. It's nothing to do with the hospital. It's the hordes of people that present, and a lot of the time, you'll see it. The child may have a cough. Are we bring him to the hospital? The child may have. It. I, I think he fell. I'm not sure. We bring him to the hospital. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. There's a lot of issues around people wasting their time when they could just go to their GP, for example. But mind you, at the moment, people are having trouble, obviously, getting getting, getting into the their GPs. GPs. Yeah, is, is, is it, getting the GPs is a separate issue now. Yeah, altogether. But I mean, the staff in that yeah. hospital down there, and I haven't said that they were a bit luxurious last night with the time they had to spend with us, but they were absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I couldn't fight them, fault them, you know, on one thing. Absolutely, I know, I know. It comes down again to the administration how long you waited to get that Absolutely. appointment. Yeah. When he was six, Daniel would have been four. He would have been just this side of his fourth birthday when he had his first sort of bout of sort of tonsillitis, sore throaty. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I know. I've been there. I've been there with my own yeah. son. Yeah. Yeah. It goes to seven years ago now. He's, he's, well, hopefully. And, and I remember that same story that I got that you got. They have to have a certain amount of infections in a certain amount of time. I think my son got nine infections in the space of two months or something yeah. like that. And, and yeah, he eventually. Was to go a card for, for, for Mangan's chemist. Yeah. I only said, I was talking about this earlier on, coincidentally, actually, to Ashton and Ruth. And I said, I remember at one point I went over to the local chemist because we kept getting that pink antibiotic, you know, the powdery stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I, I actually said to the chemist, I tell you what, I'm just going to get my wages paid straight in here. If you could just give me the change every week, that would be the best thing to do. Well, I, I got to the stage where, they, obviously, I know the guys in the chemist anyway. A bottle of the usual, Nigel, is it? A bottle of the usual. It was like going in for a pint. I remember at one stage they gave me the, I don't know what they're supposed to do that but you know the way it comes in a powder and they add water to it and then just shake yeah, it yeah they can give it here and say look and if you need to go if you need they, they, we were going on holidays they gave me the powder just in case <laughs> we give you one in lieu <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> listen Nigel nice to talk to you I'm glad he got it sorted out at the end anyway alright and, and yeah, sure look he's bulletproof now anyway
Well, hopefully that's yeah. the, 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 hopefully he's done now, and that'll be the end of his problems in regards to that respect. Thanks, Nigel. Please, yeah, let me go to Sarah. Sarah, you're in Ireland's classic kids. How are you doing, Sarah? Hello, Sarah. Hello, how are you? How are you doing, Sarah? Nice to talk to you. And you too. Good. So, Sarah, what, what can we do for you? Right. I have a 29-year-old. Yeah. Never. She was actually never sick a day in her life. Okay. But I ended up going to Cork, myself and my husband, with her, because she started getting seizures. Seizures? Seizures. Okay, that's quite serious, isn't it? Yeah. Right. So we had an ECG done. We had... How old was um, she, by the way? She's 29. 29, okay. Yes. So... So she's an adult herself. Oh, she is, yeah, Yeah. she is, yeah. But she's... um, Oh, God. Right, get to the point. Four weeks I've been up and down to Cork. I've seen specialists and you name it. He was putting her on epilepsy tablets one week. And then mm. the following week, he said, no. He said, it doesn't look like epilepsy. So I said, right, fine. I'm going to see further about it. So I went, and I went to her own GP. He brought did they, her... Did they, by the way, did they do an MRI scan on her head? They did, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. They did an MRI scan, an EEG. They did everything. Okay. So I got her into the regional in Limerick on last Wednesday and she was diagnosed with epilepsy conic tonic clonic seizures right and before I even rang there she just had one and it's it's very hard yeah but I'm getting I have to go back in now and the doctor that I was under said and how long has it taken you to get appointments each time by the way just curious um, well it had to be rushed Okay, well then, but that's not too bad that you're getting looked after then, aren't you? Yeah, but she's not really getting looked after. This is the problem. Well, when you, when you're a medical card holder. Well, when you say she's not getting looked after, she's been diagnosed with epilepsy. You, she is, no, yeah. she is. Yeah. But it took them up to five weeks. Right. Nearly six weeks for them to diagnose that. She, and well, then, but that's, me, with, with respect, Sarah, that's not too bad. Well, it's not really, but I still have to wait now for an MRI brain scan. Yeah, I know, but, I but to get your to get your MRIs, to get your scans, to get seen by a doctor, to get you know medicated and get to the bottom of what's wrong with her, you know, five or six weeks is a reasonable amount of time. Oh, I, I'm I'm listening to people here all day who can't get an appointment for two years. Yeah, and maybe I would have had to wait for two years if I hadn't got. Yeah. 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 No, I, I yeah, no, I get you, and you know, I, and you know, you I, had, I know, I understand when you're having seizures, every day is vital, and I and I get that because you want to get to the bottom of it because a seizure yeah. can kill you. But if she was to go public, yeah, she would have to wait two years. Mm. Well, you've been paying every time, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I get you. I get you. I get the point you're making. I get the point you're making. You know, I didn't need to have her seen. I had the ambulance at my house. Yeah. Three times, and it was the paramedics. Only for the paramedics diagnosing what they thought. I know. I, I think your issue as well is the fact that you you know it, you believe it was misdiagnosed at the start. Anyway, yes. if you had been told it was epilepsy at the very from the very beginning, because you were told it wasn't epilepsy, but it turns yes. out it was. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. Well, look. Well, look. Hopefully, um, how is she feeling now? By the way. Well, she's she's good now. Thank God. She's just after having a seizure there about twelve o'clock. Okay. And it lasted for 10 minutes. Okay. And when you and say she has a seizure, what does she actually uh, go unconscious? She, 
Yeah, she's okay. gone. Okay. All she says is, Mom, I'm going. And I put her on the ground in the position that I have to put her in. She she must have banged her head about three or four times off the tile floor. So I got a pillow put it under her head. And the shakes. Right. The chairs and everything are going like. Because right. this is exactly where we're sitting. But I had to get a syringe to put it into between her gum and okay. her teeth and her and oh my. she comes out of it she comes out of the shaking position in about three or four minutes but then after that she's she's concussed all right okay well look i hope things look better i hope things get better for her and i hope things look up for her but okay obviously you you had to obviously go private to try and get this get it speeded up and obviously if you had been in the public list you probably would have been waiting longer god god only knows what could have happened in that situation but listen, thank you very much indeed, Sarah, for your, prob- or for your story today. Uh, and so many people, by the way, texting in with similar stories, uh, i.e. waiting a long time uh, to get seen. And again, it is sad that if you are on a, or if you have private health insurance, that you can get seen quicker. They say money doesn't buy your health, but sadly it does in some circumstances, because if, you're on, if you have private health insurance, you can get seen fairly quickly. Um, and that's a sad reflection of the society we live in. It's kind of two-tier system, isn't it? Um, and by the way, loads of uh, text coming in. Somebody says, uh, "Hi, Nile. In relation to your comment, let me see. In relation to your comment, uh, re office staff in the HSE. I'm a clerical officer in the HSE, and I certainly do much more than wander around with charts, and most definitely uh, do not earn a fortune. I didn't say all. However, in my opinion, the HSE has become too big to manage, and I feel if we returned to localized management, uh, as in the previous times, the Midlands Health Board and the Southern Health Board, etc., things could improve. You know what? You're absolutely 100% right. Now, I know the population was probably a lot less than it is now. But when we had the regional health boards going back before we changed to the HSE, um, we had a much better service. Now, I know somebody texted earlier on and said when it was run by the nuns, we had a much better service. We actually did. But then again, you have to take into consideration the size of the population at the time was a lot smaller. Um, look, we, if you go back to the 1970s, the population was half what it is probably now. So in saying that, you know, it was easier to manage from that point of view. And we kind of look at it with rose-tinted glasses. But yes, look, yes, I, I, I'll, I'll apologise, I'll half apologise and say that there are some clerical people who work quite hard. But I know of many, and I, could, I have personal accounts of many who do very little. Now, if you're a doctor or nurse, you have no choice but to work. You have to work. But there are a lot of clerical staff, not you obviously, who are sitting on their arses doing very little and making work for themselves every day to make it look like themselves look busy. And there are a lot of them who are quite overpaid for what they actually do. Um, there are some who obviously work extremely hard and probably are underpaid as well. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.